Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. What you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is over 100 episodes at this point. So it's a great deal. So without further ado, here is the preview, and I hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks where you can hear the rest and to be fair they were kind of bums like you're right you never and i thought about that too when she was all upset about how this guy ruined her film and she's talking to troy and i'm thinking to myself bitch i've never seen you work on this shit like you all you do is pick up a camera i because like i said anybody who ever worked on anything even hell if you worked on podcasts you editing takes a long time sometimes and you're sitting there trying it says your life's work and i'm so passionate about it like what 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 was it that was there before these people ruined it we don't fucking know because all we got are clips of her and her friends chatting it up it, it's nothing record for three months and that was it and then he ruined it i held the thing up like this and recorded but honestly at that time like if you own a vhs camera you're you're not tour which a vhs camera which i'm sure her parents bought for her also like without a doubt and even even the stuff even the stuff like the content of it like say you know, I was trying to give the benefit of the doubt. I was like, okay, take away the editing portion. Maybe the content was like, you know, really deep, but everything in it, my parents got divorced. Like, oh, world's smallest violin. Like, you know, it sucks, but it's not deep. You know what I mean? Like, like my so-called, you know, it's like I'm coming out to um, my mom. Okay, are you going to be out in the street? Something really bad happening? Oh, no, she has to process it for a little while. She's in the kitchen. Like, okay, so <laughs> what the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like these are not real problems. My so-called life on ABC came out the same year and I think had more hard-hitting problems. Like my so-called life was in 1994 and I think is has way more depth on ABC than this piece of crap. Like that's think it's so like on PBS in, yeah. in the eighties had more depth. <laughs> yeah, had more consequences, had more like people getting pregnant and having problems. Yeah. So yeah. you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the, that's even better because that came out before my so called life, you know? So it's like yeah, these are like grown people without real problems. And this movie constantly undercuts this kind of we're roughing it and we're not selling out aesthetic by constantly reminding you, which wouldn't be bad if it was trying to criti criticize its own protagonist, you know, because even at the end, you know, this big so-called so win of these two being together is going to be a, a horribly toxic relationship. You know, I'll be shocked if it lasts a year. But anyway, it, it ends with she's them together. She's a horrible person. Yeah, horrible she's, person. It's like some weird narcissistic codependent relationship oh, oh, totally <laughs> totally but the last the last voicemail message is the father calling uh honey you, you read up 900 like just to remind you by the way this this bitch is spoiled she she does not earn anything you know 
she her 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 rebellious life is totally subsidized. And we're gonna remind you, which again wouldn't it be bad if you did it on purpose. But I don't think the movie's even aware of how it constantly undercuts itself at every minute. And the last thing I'm gonna say is, I'm not gonna say it, the last thing I'm gonna say is the one reason why I felt a little bit better about this movie than the first time was the first time I was like, oh my god, she's ending up with this douche. But then the second time I realized, wow, she's pretty much a douche herself like this is actually the best case scenario that they end up together and michael gets away like i'm so happy for michael i mean she dumps a guy who's trying to help her who doesn't insult her and berate her she has has stockholm syndrome like stockholm syndrome is when somebody is so bad to you that them just not being bad to you feels like they're being good so he has like one nice line and it's like a hallmark card he has like one nice line Honey, all you have to do by the age of 23 is be yourself. And they act like it's such an amazing gesture. And I'm like, Michael would have said that 20 times in the first five minutes of this movie, and it wouldn't have mattered. But because the sociopath says it, like you have Stockholm Syndrome. See, this explains so much of my dating history is that at 14, I thought that Troy was really sexy and it fucked me up for 20 years. But that, I got to say, I mean, I have to say that like, so much of that is, and and so much of this was like, I mean, I guess I just have seen, uh, you know, like having lived in that era, the idea that they could, that the filmmaker, that 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 the the movie could live in that kind of bubble, was indicative of who controlled the media at that time. There was no social media. There was only like there was only three stations. There was it was so uh, limited in that in, in that respect that the media was controlled, and so that looked like a diverse world, right? Like that's what the whole you know you, you know uh, uh, Vita you mentioned earlier, like Janine had this role where she was like the catty girlfriend, you know, of of the the skinny uh, white girl. This like when they were doing this, they're like we've got we've hit every quadrant of society. We have the upper middle class uh, gay guy who's coming out to his parents. We got the upper middle class, um, you know, white guy who's like, you know, like uh, sort of like rough and tumble, trying not to be part of the, the, you know, the system. We've got the guy who sold out with the suit. He's sort of dim. And then we've got the, you know, the, the uh, pretty girl who's struggling with this and then her sassy friend. We've hit every aspect of society. And on some level, in terms of like, the way that media existed at that time, that was, th- that was the dominant narrative. There was no other, you know, particularly, particularly in the late, in the 80s and the 90s, right? Like in the 70s, in the early, early days of television, you, and, and it, it, you would see really a broader representation of people on television because the, the the commercial stakes were not as high. The people who would go into television and write these things and the film who would write these things were were really from different backgrounds or had like a political agenda. By the time you get to the 80s and to the 90s, there is no political agenda. There is, people are so adrift that really it is like, I can't believe you're going to go out with a guy who wears a coat like that. <laughs> and that was like... Yeah, you can't argue. That is a really ridiculous coat, man. And like, you should go out with the the abusive guy because he doesn't wear that kind of coat. You know, like that was like the struggle. 
The funny thing with the abusive guy, and this is like at this point a cliche observation because people make it about hipsters all the time, but he totally has a uniform himself. Like he has his own suit and he checks into work. Like he is such a freaking cliche. Like he, I mean, like, yeah, Ben Stiller puts on a suit and goes to work at MTV and whatever. But I mean, this guy just puts on his uh, faux Seattle outfit and, you know, goes to the cafe with his hair and his outfit and does this prototypical grunt like you were as much a type as this other guy and it's one thing about uh gen x that i really looked back on uh in self-criticism and realized in some ways this new generation that doesn't even know what selling out is at least is more honest because we just had this lip service to not selling out but we had like no real principles just non-conformity that, like, that was our only principle. Like, but our nonconformity was just its own type of conformity. Like, we, we always did that. And then we'd end up conforming anyway, but we would just give it a ironic veneer. So it's like, at the end of the day, um, Winona Ryder is driving that, is it a Benz or a BMW? I forget. She's driving a BMW, but it's okay because she doesn't really enjoy driving the BMW. Her parents made her and she put a full protest up you know so it's okay she's driving the bmw yeah she's only gonna drive it until she can get another car yeah exactly a car that she performatively buys that's poor like like even though she has the money so it's like um it's kind of like being a minimalist but you have a storage unit with all your shit in it and you're patting yourself on the back for being minimalist but you're not really you're just like a dog doing a a trick you're not you you just put everything in storage but irony is that's what the 90s were about like we did not like uh, that's what that Gen X was about. We did not want to conform, but we also did not want to be like the hippies who were non-conforming. So we both did not want to conform and did not want to not conform. So we so we were stuck with with having to everything that we did had to be ironic because we didn't want to be there and we didn't want to be here. So we had to be constantly in some place that was ill-defined in between. And the only way to do that was to obscure what we were doing by being ironic. So everything, so everything in that movie is like kitsch and everything is like, um, you know, are you really that excited about Gilligan's Island? Uh, not really, but sort of like, you know, like, and, and that, that became like a whole genre of society in the early 90s. Every commercial was like that. Every and and they're just ripping off Slacker, which actually like had legit trivia that people were sort of like unironically, although there was a, a ton of that too. We're inter- you know, which which who would you be? Would you be Ginger? Would you be Marianne? Would you be the professor? Are you guys seriously doing this? Sort of. It depends because we just didn't want to be anything. Sam, I'm sure you heard this phrase a lot because uh, I remember I used to hear it a lot. Yeah, I'm doing this, but I'm going to fuck it up from the inside. That's what people used to say all the time uh, back then. Like, I'm going to work at MTV, but I'm going to fuck it up from the inside. You know, like, you know, it's like you're going deep cover, you know, and then you end up making it to, to, to like middle manager. But no, I'm still deep cover, though. I just, you know, I have a 401k and, you know, I'm I'm programming the company, but. Any day now, I'm just going to sneak on. Like, uh, yeah, I'm a sleeper agent. I just never wakes up. It's a long game. What was the whole thing with that scene with good times? Like, was it, was it, was it, was it like a board game, good times board game or something? I think it was like a drinking game, like a personal game. I was kind of confused. I was trying to figure out what game this was. 
Yeah, I think Brandy's right. I don't think it was a real game. Oh, they just invented it. Okay. Because it looked like they had a board game, though. That's what I was trying to figure out. It looked like some sort of thing on the table. I remember, I remember the scene. I don't remember that there was like an actual board. I read it as like, again, to note, like to what Sam was saying, this kind of like um, ironic um, appreciation of certain pop culture artifacts, right? So for them, it was good times as opposed to, but it was, you know, like getting really into something from decades past, getting really into the trivia of it. I mean, it was sort of like a proto-nerd style of engaging with culture of just like knowing a lot of facts about something in a way like such that it becomes funny or ironic. Yeah. It was like, I don't know. It was, it was just sort of weird. I, don't, I didn't get the scene, I guess. I was trying to figure out what the point was. <laughs> I think what the scene was trying to do, which I think a lot of the movie does is that it tries to just put a lot of markers. I think it's one of the reasons why people remember it so fondly because they remember songs they remember references to shows they like. I think it was just trying to put its um, pop culture bona fides on display, you know. But the problem is nothing in the movie is like a deep cut. Like talking about Brady Bunch, they're talking about Good Times, talking about Gilligan's Island. Troy, for all his like, you know, making fun of Michael, has the most banal cultural references and and taste. You know what I mean? Like that when when he when he delivers the line about how Mr. Brady died of AIDS and it's supposed to be this like hugely meaningful insight and I'm just like, God, you're stupid. The the thing is is that the 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 at that time the idea of like raising cultural references, that was the like that was a new innovation. Like doing that was an like that hadn't happened in in pop culture the idea of like creating the, a history of pop culture that that just hadn't happened yet and that's why that was all new i mean yeah, I, I yes i mean this the idea of that was um it, the, that that that's why it didn't have to be a deep cut or anything it was all i mean look there were f- there were three television channels when these guys were kids like you, you didn't, you had three options at any given hour as to what you could watch. There's no VHS. There's no VCR. There's nothing. You, everybody watched the Brady Bunch. Everybody. There is, there was no such thing as a deep cut in television. It didn't exist. There, this was it. There, there, there's like, and so it was all about like, just sort of this idea of reminiscing on their childhood was, um, well, that was it. It was, that was, it wasn't even what the cut was. It was just like looking back and having some type of like fluency in that stuff. All right. So that was a preview. If you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.